Thanks, Jay. It's, uh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. It's, it's great to be with you guys. As Jay said, um, I'm one of the pastors at Soma, Philadelphia, which is uh, formerly was Real Life Church, and I've been here in the past. It's been a couple years, I think, uh, as we've gotten busy, but it is always a joy to come, uh, sit with you guys, uh, worship with you, uh, hear more of what God is doing amongst you, and uh, I get to go back and encourage our church. Uh, and what God's doing here in the Upper Northeast. Uh, our church is located a little bit farther down in the city, uh, in the Bridesburg and Port Richmond area uh, of the city. And uh, it's been our great privilege to hear and be a small part and uh, be able to partner with you of what God's doing up here uh, and throughout the city through you guys. So uh, it's, it's with greetings from our church that I come uh, and our elders. Uh, we, I know a couple years ago, we were able to do a joint service together. We did a baptism service together, and that was awesome. Uh, we would love to do that again sometime, so uh, whenever we get to do that, it's, it's always a joy to us. And we get to uh, have our people together and give them a bigger vision for what God's doing uh, amongst everyone here in the city uh, and his work. So uh, we're going to be in Joshua 4, uh, like Jay just read, and uh, primarily what I want to talk about this morning is, as I thought about... Uh, coming and sharing with you and bringing God's word, uh, one of the things that God began to put on my heart was uh, his faithfulness to us, and specifically his faithfulness to you here at Seven Mile Road, what he has done. And I remembered back, and I was thinking through, I think it was a little over five years ago that uh, I met Ajay and Shainu, and we sat in um, one of our old rustic offices, actually, uh, in the basement of a building that we have, and sat together, and they shared with myself and a couple other guys uh, what it was that God had been calling them to come and do, and uh, what it was that they had, he had been calling them to come from Boston and, and uh, giving them a heart for Philadelphia and a heart for all of you, even though they didn't know all of you yet. And as they shared that with us, and as I remembered thinking back through that as I was preparing, one of the things that impressed upon my heart was God's eternal faithfulness to us. And sometimes we just miss that. We, we forget to look back. We forget to remind ourselves and bring ourselves to a point where we remember all that he has done, both in our midst and for generations and centuries and all of history before us, all that he has done. And as I looked at Joshua and Joshua 24, we get to the end of Joshua's life, and I want to just walk briefly through a little bit of God's story of, of where they're at here in Joshua 24 and what Joshua has been doing and what God has done amongst uh, the people of Israel. And as we talk about that, it's interesting to see how Joshua approaches the end of his life. In Joshua chapter 24, Joshua is old, he is near his deathbed, and he knows it. And it's interesting to see with a man, a man of God that God has instilled great courage and faithfulness in what it is that he takes time to do at the end of his life. He takes time to step back to remind the leaders and then remind the people of God all that God has done and then to call them to covenant once again to be faithful to God because of his faithfulness. So as he does this, there's some really interesting things that come out of this, this final chapter of Joshua. As we see Joshua's heart uh, poured out for the people. When I was younger, I um, had the privilege of my dad uh, being a pastor. And, and I had the privilege of him raising us in the faith and teaching us what it meant to love Jesus and follow him. And then 
Also, my mother's dad, my grandfather on my mom's side, loved Jesus, was a, an elder in the church that I grew up in. And he used to const constantly say to me, what you want to be able to remember in your life is when you are old and gray and you look back, think now about what you want to see. Think now about what it is when I, I'm getting older. I feel older all the time, but I'm getting older. And as I get older, when I'm 80, 85, if God gives me the, that many years, what do I want to turn and see behind me? What is it that I want to look back on and be able to encourage those who are coming behind me, whether it's my, my four kids that God's blessed us with, and, and maybe more, I have no idea what the future holds, um, if you ask my wife, she would say that the future would hold no more. But uh, you don't know, you know, God's in control of those types of things. But um, when I look back on my kids when I'm older, when I look back on our church that God's called me to serve at when I'm older, when I look back on the churches that, that we've partnered with around the city of Philadelphia so that every man, woman, child can hear the gospel, what, what is it that we want to see when we look back? Joshua had great things to look back and see. But he also had some things that he needed to correct the people in when he looked back on them. So the interesting thing, when Joshua approaches chapter 24 and near the end of his life, he is amazed, he's awestruck by God's goodness and faithfulness. Even as I sat this morning and listened to a reminder from Benu and from Sibi, and as they talked about God's generosity towards us, and that's why we're compelled to give, and God's great goodness towards us, and that's why we worship. And, and as we talk about those things, do we look back and say, God's not only been good this past week, he's not only been good this year, he has been good for all of history. It's who he is. This is God's nature, to be good, to be gracious, to be faithful to us. And then it's our our imploring job to be good and faithful in return. So as we look at God's word and we think about Joshua 24, I wanted to go back just a touch to give us where Joshua starts this kind of uh, this heritage layout for the people. In chapter 23, at the beginning of chapter 23, in verse 3, he says this as he's specifically addressing the leaders of Israel. He, he pulls together, much, much like the, the elders, he pulls them together, the leaders of the country. And he says, I want to talk with you briefly. And he says in verse 3, And you have seen all that Lord, the Lord your God has done, all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to, allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. You shall possess the land, just as the Lord your God has promised you. Therefore, verse 6 of chapter 23, therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. So if we remember part of God's story here, he has taken the nation of Israel out of captivity. Moses was able to lead them in that way as God empowered him, but Moses wasn't chosen to enter the Holy Land. Moses had some things on his sheet, on his background, that God had said, because of this, you won't be the one to lead them in. So Joshua is the one chosen. So Moses dies outside of the Holy Land. Joshua is the one that walks them in 
And there's a lot of battles that take place. There's some incredible stories. We can't walk our way all through them this morning. It doesn't look like everybody packed a lunch. We don't have time for that. But when I sit with my kids, and particularly my boys as they've gotten older now, I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and as I sit with them and we read the stories of God's greatness fleshed out in the Old Testament, particularly in the story of Joshua, my boys sit and look at me and they go, whoa. Think about the story of Jericho. As Joshua led the people, they, they walked around the outside of a city. And then they blew some trumpets and the walls fell down. And you think, that's, that's not because of like acoustic dynamics. That's not what happened. It wasn't that loud. It's the hand of God amongst his people doing things that nobody else could do. And God's people were reminded of this as Joshua comes to the end of his life. Remember, look back. God's faithfulness is astounding. It's amazing. Think about all that he has done. And as he reminds them of that in chapter 23, he has the leaders and he, he does this somewhat strategically. He says, I'm going to pull together the leaders and I want to remind them of God's faithfulness. And then we are going to go before all of the people. And we're going to remind them of God's faithfulness. So he does that in chapter 23. And then literally as he comes into chapter 24, it says that he gathers all the tribes of Israel in verse 1. And he pulls them all together. And he walks them through the story of God's faithfulness. So he talks about specific battles. And he talks about specific cities. And he talks about specific things that God has done amongst them. He continually walks them through this. And it's a long story, and we won't read it all in the beginning of chapter 24. But he walks them through. God has given you this, and he has given you victory here. And he has led you out of the, of the land of Egypt. And he has maintained you for 40 years in the wilderness. And then given you the promised land that not only was promised to you, but was promised to your fathers and their fathers. And was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God's promises have followed through. Sometimes I think one of the challenges for us is when promises don't get fleshed out quickly, we tend to think they're not going to. And you could imagine with the people of God here, although they know that part of the reason they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness was because of the unfaithfulness of their fathers and mothers, you can still Maybe put yourselves in their shoes and after 40 years and standing on the brink and walking in and going through all of these battles and even at Joshua's death, the entire promised land had not been conquered. And you can maybe put yourselves in their shoes and think, okay, God, I know you said this, but man, we've been waiting. We have been waiting and when is this going to happen? I feel like we're kind of taking it in small chunks. We'd rather just have you hand it to us. But see, in God's, God's sovereignty, he understands that handing it to us isn't always the most helpful thing. If you have children, you'll, you'll, you'll know this. You'll, you'll start to learn this. And sometimes if you hand your children things, they don't value it. If you just give it over to them and they haven't walked through it and they haven't learned through it the, the goodness of it or the, the privilege to have it or why it is that you're giving it to them and you haven't taken your time to teach them why, then they, they have a tendency not to value it very much. 
This is part of what God as a good father, as a loving father, as the per- only perfect father, is doing for his sons and daughters at this point. He's taking them through, showing them bits and pieces of his faithfulness and his power and his might and his graciousness. And as he shows it to them, then as Joshua is on his deathbed, he wants to remind the people of how good God has been. So we get to verse 14. And as he get there, we remember Joshua's standing. He's taken the mantle from Moses. He's led people into the, into the promised land. As he looks back, he wants to remember certain things, and then he wants to lead the people to remember certain things. Verse 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Just stop there in that first verse. This may be a little bit uh, unfamiliar to you, but sometimes when we at at Soma in Philadelphia, what we do is I'll ask questions, and I know a lot of times when preachers ask questions, they're rhetorical, right? They're not supposed to be answered. I actually want to ask a few questions today that that need an answer, okay? So think with me and don't be shy, okay? As we look at this first verse in verse 14, we understand that repetition aids learning. And God is a God of repetition because he wants us to learn. What do we see getting repeated just in this first verse? Take a look at it with me. There's a specific phrase, specific word that God starts to repeat here. Anybody see it? Whispers, murmurs, serve. Yes, I heard it. I thought I heard it a couple times before that. Serve. See, this is an interesting thing when we think about what God wants his people to remember and he uses Joshua for here. He says the word serve three times in one verse. And then if we look at the rest of these 14 verses, verses 14 through 28, he actually says the word serve 13 times in 14 verses. I'd say it might be a point to be remembered. 13 times in 14 verses. I know when I'm dealing with my children and I start to say something and it it looks like maybe they have that far off look in their eyes and they're not listening. I say it again. And then maybe they hone in a little bit more. And then I'll say, hey, did you hear me? And they'll be like, yeah. And I'll say, what did I say? They say, ah, something about, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Ready? Say it again. And you can tell by the look in their eyes and their response, right? if they are getting you or not. Sometimes it takes many repetitions. Apparently, Joshua is looking at the people while he's talking and saying, this is going to take many repetitions. I'm going to call them to serve. And I'm going to call them to serve 13 times in the next couple minutes here. Because I want them to remember that what faithfulness looks like is serving. Now, Joshua knows this because he's lived a life of service. You might say, well, he led all the people. Yes, he led all the people at great cost. Leadership is not an easy thing. There's weight involved, especially when you're leading God's people. And Joshua was faithful. Remember in Joshua 1, when God calls Joshua to lead, Joshua's not super thrilled about this idea. How do we know that? Because God repeats a few things to him. Be strong and what? Courageous. He says it a number of times. 
He says, Joshua, I want to remind you, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be very strong and courageous. He keeps repeating it because Joshua wasn't ready to grab the mantle and run. He was fearful. He had lacked some courage and God wanted to embolden his spirit. See, that story as God calls Joshua in is part of the story of where Joshua is now in chapter 24 when he's dying. Because God has entrusted Joshua with leading, and Joshua had been faithful. And he had been courageous, not by his own might and power. He knows that, and he wants to remind the people of what it looks like to be faithful and courageous. So he says, serve. Because faithfulness requires serving. It it will require us to give up things. It will require us to give of ourselves. We see a perfect picture of this when Jesus comes into the world. He puts on flesh. He incarnates. And what does he say? The king of the universe. That one of the persons of the Trinity that was there before the creation of the world puts on flesh, comes to the world, and says a specific phrase that should blow our minds. He says, I have come not to be served. Wait a minute, really? Not to be served, but to serve. The king of creation, the son of God, perfect, infinite. And he says, I have come not to be served. If anybody had the right to be served, it was him. If anyone had the qualifications to be served, it was him. If anybody held the right position and could expect to be served, it was him. And he says, I've come not to be served, but to serve. Joshua goes on in verse 15, he says, And if it's evil in your sight and your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land who you, who you, where you dwell. See, Joshua spins this on the people a little bit, right? The people of God to this point were probably listening as Joshua said the first sentence and saying, Oh yes, let's serve the Lord. And then in the second verse he says, So if that's evil in your sight, well, think about that for a second. If I was to get up in front of you this morning and say, after we've sang and we've worshipped and we've prayed together and we've greeted each other and we've we've talked about God's goodness, and then I I get up and say, well, if it's evil to worship the Lord, then let's pick what else you're going to do. Who else would, would you like to worship? If that's evil in your sight. Is anybody going to be like, stand up and raise their hand and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to pick that. I mean, for fear of even positive peer pressure, you're probably not raising your hand to go that route. But Joshua knows that. And he says to the people, if, even though I've just talked about all of God's story, what he has done for us, if it's evil in your eyes to serve him, then, then pick who you'd like to serve. Let's, let's think about two, two general options. The gods back in Egypt across the river with which you were enslaved and which brought no goodness and then the real true God led you out of captivity and blessed you, miraculously leading you out and miraculously sustaining you in the wilderness. But let's think about it. If you wanted to pick those gods, the ones from back in Egypt, or you have another option. We've come into a land of pagans here and they all also have false gods that they worship. You can pick those or the ones from your past. Any of those look good to you? Would you like the ones that 
brought you into captivity or would you like the ones that you're conquering now? Neither of those sound like good options, right? Joshua knows this and he's trying to bring it to the people's attention. He says, pick then, if this is evil, the gods beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua says. He gives them something. He calls them to something and then he gives them a tangible evidence of it. Verse 16, then the people answered, Well, far be it from us for we should, that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight, the ones that Joshua just told them about, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples to whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Sounds like a great place to end the story, right? Right there. Joshua challenges them, says, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people respond, far be it from us. Those other options seem silly. You just told us and reminded us of all God has done. We will also serve the Lord. Right? And if Joshua's job was to be a pep rally leader and to be a cheerleader for the people, that's a good place to end. But what does Joshua do? Joshua says, you're not able to serve the Lord. It's almost like he's baiting them, right? You ever do this? I've done this, I'll admit. I've done this, I do this a little bit sometimes with my kids. Are you going to obey mom when I'm gone? Oh, yeah, dad, we're going to be. I don't know. I know you have a hard time obeying mom sometimes. Not all the time, once in a while. My kids aren't perfect. I know most pastors' kids are. Mine aren't. But, so, so, I don't know. I don't know, bud. You know, usually I take my boys aside. My girls are still real young. And I take my boys aside usually. You know, listen to mom, I had to travel last week, and I was up in Maine uh, helping a church that's coming to part of our family, uh, the Soma Family Churches, and I was going to be gone for three days, and I said to my boys, I need you to help mom. Okay, you're going to obey mom, you're going to be helpful, you're going to be kind to your two sisters, you're going to help mom with them, you're going to keep everything in line and make sure you're not misbehaving. Oh, yeah, yeah, dad, yeah. I don't know, guys. I know how this works when I'm here much less when I'm not here. So I want to ask you again, are you really going to obey mom? Can I trust you? Yes, dad, yes, you can trust me. It's going to be hard. We know, dad, we, I know. No, no, I don't think you know. It's going to be hard. She's probably going to tell you to do something you don't like at one point in the next three days, probably multiple points, something you don't want to do. She's going to tell you that. What are you going to do then? We're going to listen, we're going to obey. Okay. Just know that by telling me that, I'm going to hold you to it. It's not ignorance at this point. We've talked about it. Okay? And I try to walk them through a couple scenarios. And when your sister grabs your DS and takes off with it through the house, what are you going to do? Because that's happened once or twice in our house. What are you going to do? Are you going to chase her? Are you going to grab it? Are you going to... Freak out. What are you going to do? No, no. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to talk to mom. Oh, okay. Now you said it. Okay? We're going we're gonna to talk. Okay? So I'm going to call home. We're going to talk. We're going to see how this goes. I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but it might. Okay? So you talk through these scenarios, and you can almost kind of feel Joshua doing this with the people, right? 
He's being a father to God's people as God's empowered him to. And he's saying, I, my, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because we just talked about how good and gracious and faithful he is and all that he has done in his power. We're going to serve the Lord. How about you guys? We're in. Joshua, we are on. Yes. How could we deny what you just told us? We know those things to be true. We trust God. We're in too. We're going to serve the Lord. This is, nah, I don't know. I don't think you can. I'm not convinced. He says, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Now, what Joshua's not saying is God is not a forgiving God. What he's saying is, remember the generation before you that denied God and didn't trust him about going into the land of Canaan and that God had judgment on them. They didn't enter the promised land. Now, did God still love them and forgive their sins? He did, but that transgression had consequences. So Joshua's reminded him, remember why we walked around in the desert for 40 years? Okay? If you make a covenant to God and you walk away from it and you deny God in your life, that's kind of a bad place to be. And mostly... If you deny that God is the one true God, that's an irrevocable place to be. So he reminds them of that. He doesn't want them to make a foolish covenant or a, a foolish, uninformed decision here. He goes on, if you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So say, Remember how good God has been to you? And you're already not perfect. But if now we make a covenant together to serve the Lord and you forsake him, God's going to judge you. And he's going to turn from you. And he's going to leave you to your own vices then. And the people said what? Just like my kids. No, Dad, we wouldn't do that. We are in. We are going to serve the Lord. Okay. They say in 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, okay, your witness is against yourself that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. Okay, are we all there? You, we, did we hear what we just said? I said, me and the house, my house is going to serve the Lord. You said, yes, we're going to. I said, you're not going to make it. I said, no, 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 we are in. We hear your objections. We hear your warnings. We're in, we're committing. And he says, okay, your witnesses that you've chosen to serve the Lord. And they said, we are witnesses. This is a common conversation I've had with my kids in my house. Do you hear what you're committing to? Yes. Okay, remember, because we'll probably have this conversation later that we're going to talk about this one we're having now. So you, your witnesses, you remember. Yes. Okay, good. Your witnesses. He says, then, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. Wait a second. The people just committed that they're going to serve the Lord in faithfulness and pursue him and remember all his good works and not worship other gods. And Joshua says, okay, you've committed. Now, I already know that you have foreign gods amongst you. And you can kind of maybe hear the air go out of the room, right? It's, it's kind of, Joshua's been, he's tempered them, he's raised them back up. He's saying, we're going to serve the Lord? Yes, I don't think you can. No, no, we will. Okay, we're witnesses together. We're going to serve the Lord. Ready? Yes, we're in. We're witnesses. 
Good. Get rid of all your idols. Because they're going to trap you. And everybody's kind of like, oh, Joshua, come on. Right? Like, we're getting some positive momentum here in the conversation. We're moving forward. We're getting some, we're feeling good. We're pepped up. We're ready to go. Right? Get rid of your idols because you all have them. See, Joshua understood the people. He understood what was going on around him. And he wanted to be very real with the people before he died. See, the challenge for us is this. We are much like the nation of Israel. Far be it from us to stand up and publicly identify that we're going to serve false gods. I don't know. I haven't been in many churches where that's a normal occurrence. Where someone says, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm pretty much just going to go with my idols. Seems like a better option than how good and gracious and protective and sovereign God has been. But the problem is, even though we may not stand up and publicly identify and do that, we do it in our personal lives all the time. Where we go from God's provision and we try to provide for ourselves. And we go from God's generosity and we, we feel like we need to hoard because we're not sure God's going to continue to be generous. Even though he's been generous for all of history. We go from, from God's goodness towards us and we, we fail to be good to others because we're not totally sure we should open ourselves up and be vulnerable like that. So we worship other idols of self-sufficiency or self-reliance. We worship other idols of position or power or, or possessions. Or we have lots of other things in our lives that we worship. Maybe they're not little carved, graven images of a person or a false god, but we have them. And as Joshua is leaving, he wants the people to know, I know that we struggle with idol worship. So as we're committing to serve the Lord and we're witnessing even against ourselves that we have said we will serve the Lord and he is good, then I want you to actually go and get rid of the false gods. There's, there's action that comes to being faithful to our covenant with God. He said, put them away. In verse 24, and the people said, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So the people commit again, yes, we will do away with the false gods we have. We will get rid of them. And then Joshua says again, so Joshua made a covenant in 20, verse 25 with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. See, he took what they had committed to and he wrote it down actually carved it in stone and placed it in the place where they worshiped because he knew probably shortly I won't be here to remind the people. What are our lessons here that we watch with Joshua? As we see how Joshua has led in his life and as he specifically leads at the end, looking back, there's some specific challenges that we need to know. Remind ourselves and others first of what God has done. So my encouragement to you would be, 
let more and more of your conversation and more and more of your interaction with each other and more and more of your interaction with those who are not here or your neighbors or your, your employees or your employers or your, your workmates, whatever, let more and more of your conversation be a reminding of what God has done. And even a reminder of what he is doing currently. So as you look around the room here, see, it's easier to know, to see what God has done from a distance sometimes. Because we get caught up in the day-to-day. We get very caught up. And sometimes, I, I told my church this last week, I said, you know, it's hard for me. I don't like, there's things I like and don't like about being away from our church for different things. So now, last week I was in Maine, and this week I'm here with you all to worship with you. And I've missed gathering with my church family for two weeks in a row. And while, while I enjoy what I get to go and do, I miss being with them. But here's one great benefit that comes from me doing that, is when I am not right in the day-to-day, I end up talking about the story of what God's doing in the day-to-day. So when I go and I'm with other, other parts of the family of God, I'm with other church families, and they ask, how's it going? What has God been doing? And as I stand before you today, and I haven't been here in a couple of years with you, I'm able to be reminded, what has God done since the last time I was here? He's done great things. He's done remarkable things. He's brought people into his family. We've seen people give their lives to Jesus. We've seen them get baptized. You have too. We've seen people overcome addictions. We've seen people overcome broken homes and broken marriages. We've seen, I personally, my daughter, my youngest daughter has been sick. She's been sick for about a year and a half. We've seen God begin to heal her. And we've seen God carry our family through a time that, honestly, if he'd have told me ahead of time it was going to happen, I'd have opted out. I said, you know what, God? I know you want me to trust you, but just take my word for it. I trust you now. I don't need that test, but he knows we did. I've seen God do amazing things. And as I prepared to come and spend some time with you today, I was thinking through God's story in your lives. And I don't know every one of you individually, but I get the opportunity to hear the story of Seven Mile Road. When I'm talking to a Jay or Benu or Dennis or others that I know or Sibby, I get to hear of what God's doing here. And I get to remember, I even walked in the back door today. I haven't been here since the the rest of the change up front has happened here. And you've revamped this room and God's given you the opportunity to do that. And one of the things was, I remember the first time I was here gathered with you, I was sitting right about here in a chair. There was maybe about 20 of us in a circle. And that was a long time ago. I don't remember how long ago that was. I'm horrible with dates. But I have four kids, and I know which day of the year their birthday happens. But people ask me what year they were born. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. It's 2014. He's 10. That means, okay, 2003. Okay, he's going to be 11 this year. So, okay, I got it. I'm not good with dates, so I don't remember when that was, but I remember it happening. And I was here. I said a circle with maybe, I don't even think it was 20 people. Probably a little bit less than that. And we talked about what God was shaping and what he was doing. And and this room didn't look like this. And there wasn't nearly this many people here. And there wasn't nearly this many kids. I think Jay and Shainu only had one child at that point. And I don't think there was too many other kids here. And I sat this morning and I look out and I think, 
God's blessed you guys. He's blessed you with some kids, just a couple, okay? I love it. Our church, the church that, that I get to lead, we're, we're about, we're pretty much kind of like you guys in our age range. And we're about 50-50 with kids and parents. So we get about the same amount of adults as we do children. And sometimes that's overwhelming. I get that. So I'm saying it's a blessing and you're thinking, really? Uh, blessing meaning what? No, it really is. It's unbelievably gracious that God's given you these kids because you know what? You get to do then what Joshua has done. You have a generation that when you're old and gray and you know your days are numbered, you get to look at them and say, let me remind you how good God's been. Let me tell you what he wants from you as you go forward. And you get to speak of his faithfulness and call them to a long obedience in the same direction. Call them to trust God for more than themselves, that life is not only what we see and know now, but that he wants to generationally continue on his faithfulness and our faithfulness to the covenant. So as Joshua winds up his life, Specifically, his death and burial happens right at the end of this chapter. It, it says in verse 29, after these things. So Joshua gets done talking to the people about this. Literally, after these things, Joshua dies. He moves on. So, and I'm convinced Joshua knew that was coming. Whether God specifically revealed it to him or he just knew himself and knew, I've got a lot left. This is what I've got to say. Let's lead the people in it. And then he literally, he dies in the next few verses here. And what do the people do? You turn your page in the Bible, the next book is called Judges. And the people forget. They don't remain faithful. They turn their backs on God. They go to false idols. They worship false gods. And God faithfully does what he's always done. He lets judgment come in because they've chosen something other than him. He pursues them. He calls them back to repentance and he welcomes them back in. And then what happens? After a time, they forget and they go back out to worship other gods. And God allows the judgment of those poor decisions to come on them and then he goes and calls them in repentance and brings them back in. And this is the cycle. And this is what happens. And this is why Joshua and his wisdom that he has gotten from God says, I don't think you can do this. And the people say, yes, we will. Because he wants them to remember later when they don't that they committed that they would. And that God is still good. And he'll still call them back. So as we look at this, this chapter, verse chapter 24, seems really encouraging. Joshua is leading well. He's leading to the end of his life well. He calls the people to be faithful. The people say back to him, we will. He says, I don't think you can. He says, no, no, Joshua, we will. We hear you. He says, okay, well, you're going to be witnesses if you covenant. We're in. We're witnesses. Okay, good. Get rid of all the false gods and false idols. Okay, we will. All right. 
I'm not going to be out here much longer. I've challenged you. I've given you what I could. Now I'm going to be gone, and it's going to be up to you. And he dies. And the people do. They remain faithful for a time. But eventually, what happens is, as generations go on, the story of God and the covenant with God doesn't get relayed as often. And the story that God, of God's goodness and the covenant of God's people and, and their God don't get brought to the forefront as often. And eventually, generation to generation, it gets watered down, it gets left behind, and eventually they walk away. The challenge that I believe Joshua has for us, and specifically even the, the New Testament in Hebrews gives us from Joshua's life looking back on it, is that we are called to teach a generation what it means to be faithful to God. And that may be your children. It's not only your children, though. It's your spiritual children. It's those God's given you through natural birth into your, into your family, and it's also those that God has adopted into the family and grafted in. So the challenge is this. It's not left to just Joshua to be faithful to the, and call the people to faithfulness. What is it? It's left to all of them. He calls all the people to covenant. He calls all the people to be witnesses, and then he calls all the people to pass that on. So my encouragement to you today, and I know you may be sitting there thinking, I don't even know this guy. I'm not sure where he's from, and that's okay. I'll be around afterwards if you want to get to know me a little bit better. But my encouragement would be, even if you don't trust me or listen to the words I have to say, listen to God as he continually records his goodness and his faithfulness to us and then calls us to set up monuments, reminders, pieces in our life so that we will be faithful, our homes will be faithful, our spiritual homes and families will be faithful, and they will know what it means to pass that on to future generations. The story of God's goodness and his faithfulness is one that should take, should literally take our breath away. What he has done, even what he has done here, just amongst us and amongst you, although it's a, just a sliver of God's story, it's a great one. Five years ago, none of you were here. Five years ago, probably hardly any of you knew each other. And God has knit together a family of sons and daughters of the king and done great works and brought many to Jesus and given you many kids and given you jobs and homes and neighborhoods and people all around you to speak of his story and how faithful he is. So that would be my encouragement to you today. Allow the spirit to convict in your life, where are those false gods and false idols that, that creep in? Allow God to even convict this today. As, even as I say that, there's probably something that twinges in your heart. And the spirit says, you got to get rid of that. You got to set that aside. You got to move on from that. You got to move on from, from that thing that you worship before you were called to a faithful God that loves you. You got to get rid of this here. This one, you got rid of that before. It's starting to creep back in. Allow the Spirit to lead you because He loves you. Much like God used Joshua to remind the people 
God uses the Holy Spirit in our lives, and he does use leaders in his church to remind us of who he is and how much we need to be called back to it continually. And then do that. Do that for your children. Do that for those, those he's called you to. Do that for those that are in your gospel community. Do that for those you work with. And understand that in the world around us, there are many that will respond but just haven't heard. It's not to say they've never heard of God and they've never heard of Jesus, but maybe they've never heard that he's a good God. Maybe they've never heard of his extreme, unexplainable faithfulness. Maybe they've never heard of the fact that before the beginning of time, he has always been good, right, and perfect. Because that's a God you can give your life to. And the call that Joshua has before the people is, remember who God is, and now let's commit. So I would encourage you today as we, as we get to look into God's word, and specifically even as we think about God's story amongst you, and what God has done in your lives and in the lives of those that are around you. And as you think about that, remember how good he is. That he's given you a church family to worship with and to be equipped from, and to go into mission with. He's given you community to minister to those around you that, that God's called you to and to grow in. He's given you leaders. He's, he's maintained a Jay and Shainu in their family, and now he's, he's allowed Binu to be brought on as a pastor here, and he has many other leaders here at Seven Mile Road. And how faithful is God to do that to something that didn't even exist four years ago? He's good. And he's gracious and he's faithful. And then he calls us to reflect that to the world around us by our faithfulness. So my prayer for you at Seven Mile Road is this. Five years from the seed of God planting this church to now, how faithful has he been? And look around the room. It's good. The next five years, what is God going to do? He's going to continue to be faithful. How will God grow you? We have no idea. He may grow you in numbers, and we, we would pray for that, and that is awesome. He may just grow you in depth. He may add to you slowly. He may just challenge you as a church to be faithful. We don't know the heart of God. We don't know the mind of God. We don't know the plan of God. But we do know that he is willing that none should perish. So we're to be faithful. Don't just give him the next five. Give him the next 20 the next 30, however long you have, the next 50, the next 60 years, to look back and remark at God's faithfulness and to pass it on to a generation behind you so that Seven Mile Road and the churches that you help plant and the churches that you and, and us, we get to partner with around the city of Philadelphia, that we can look and remark at how good and great, great God is. And then uh, we can remind the generations behind us Look how God allowed us to be faithful and serve. Go and serve. Continue on. So that future generations don't walk into the book of Judges after Joshua, but instead walk into the faithfulness of being led by a perfect Savior in Jesus. That knows our every need, Hebrews 4 tells us, has experienced every complication and trial and persecution that we have experienced and has done so without sin so that he can be our good and great and perfect high priest. 
So we don't have a man like Joshua that stands before us and reminds us and then dies and moves on. We have a Savior that's alive and risen and reigns that reminds us continually that because he has paid for sin and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father, we have a high priest that's perfect. We have no needs, no wants. We're not lacking in anything from him. He sent the Spirit to indwell us, to empower us to be faithful, so that therefore we can go and leave a legacy of generations that may never remember Seven Mile Road, but they will remember the heart of God, and they will remember his people, and they will remember the faithfulness that God's character gives us and that Jesus leads us in. That's what people will remember. So the words of a famous preacher... I hope that it is all of our desires to preach the gospel both with our lives and our words, to die and to be forgotten, like Joshua, but to live our lives that Jesus has never forgotten. So whether anyone ever remembers our name or remembers our connections or remembers our churches, they will remember our Savior. And this city will change. Because of churches like yours, and hopefully because of churches like ours, and many others that God has put in this city to be an influence for him. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would take your words this morning, take your character, and drive them into our heart in a way that, in a way that changes how we go home how we leave this place, what it is that we maintain in our lives or what it is that we set aside and walk away from, that you would, through the Spirit, give us the ability to be faithful. Father, I pray this morning that even for me as I was able to open your word and hopefully bring a helpful, challenging, encouraging piece to your church this morning, that you would use the things that, that were helpful for my words and you would, you would help the things that aren't to be forgotten. Not so that people remember what we talked about today, but so that people remember who you are. Thank you, Father, for being faithful to us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Help us to be faithful in return. We need your help. We know that without it, we will be like the people of Israel that very shortly will forget and move on to false gods. And we ask that you would give us the grace to be faithful. I thank you, Father, for Seven Mile Road. I thank you for those you have grafted into your family and adopted here today. I thank you for Jay and Shainu and their faithfulness that you have allowed them to have. I thank you for uh, Benu, and I thank you for all the leaders here, and I thank you for all the people that you have called. And I pray that we would understand what it means to be obedient for a long period of time in the same direction for all of our lives faithfully being witnesses to your goodness and the truth of your gospel and then giving future generations something to look to so that they can remain faithful also. Thank you, Father, for empowering us to do this. To Jesus dying on the cross, forgiving our sins and sending the Spirit into our lives to give us the power to do what you've called us to do. It's in your gracious name we pray. Amen.